Welcome to Leaving a Legacy, a podcast focusing on the legacy format and the New England magic experience with your host, Adrian. I, and I think Tin Fins is just, um, it could, maybe it's crack. And Jerry. I'm going to say two things to you right now, and they're going to contradict each other. Now we take you to the Red Room, where round one pairings have been posted. Oh, happy new year, boys and girls. Welcome to episode 14 of Leaving a Legacy. This is your host, Jerry Mee, joined by my good friend and co-host, Adrian. How you doing, Adrian? I'm doing good. Happy new year, Jerry. Ah, oh, happy new year. This is going to be the hangover cast. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is January 1st as of recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, how was your new year's? Um, Actually, it was kind of funny. Uh, so, today's my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> uh, thank you, and happy new year. And, happy um, new year. So I had this uh, little experience. I had this little experience last night where, um, so the, the wife and my, and my stepson wanted to watch a movie, and it's 11.58 or 11.59. I'm like, there's like one minute. I'm like, why don't we just put it on the Times Square countdown, watch the ball drop, um, grab a bottle or something, and, mm-hmm. and kind of ring in the new year. And then... Um, so we did that, and then me and her went outside to smoke a cigarette, and the first thing she did was, like, my, so my phone went ding, so I looked mm-hmm. at my phone, and she posted on my Facebook wall, happy birthday. Oh. And uh, I kind of looked at her, and I put a reply on it, I'm standing next to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is the 21st century, and this is how social interactions take place now. <laughs> so it was, and I just started laughing, and I laughed so hard, so... My 2015 started by laughing, and it was good. It was good. And then um, me and a couple of uh, Magic Buddies went out to breakfast this morning. We went down to the Miss Worcester Diner. And, oh, um, very nice. Yeah, that's that's always that's a good way to start the year anyway. Um, so, yeah, we went down to breakfast, and then I came home. And I don't even know if we were talking about it last week, but I ended up finishing making the foil proxy version of Tin Fins. Oh, yeah, I saw some of the pictures you posted. Those look sweet. Yeah, they've actually only gotten better. Um, nice. But, you know, like I said, my buddy had given me a whole bunch of foils, and uh, so I took 10 pins over to him last night, and I had him take a look at it, and I said, if there's anything in there that you want, just take it. And um, I, I ended up giving him a bunch of cards that I had made. Um, and he gave me a bunch more foils anyway, so I had to remake some of the cards that I gave him from the 10 pins deck, and, uh, which I was doing today. So they they actually have been coming out a lot better, but I got the chance to actually throw that deck out um, Sunday too. But we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Very cool. Yeah, I I may I may need to trade you for some some sweet sweet proxies for EDH. All right, yeah, you just um, you send me a give me a name of the card that you would like, <laughs> and I will see how. I mean, it really, I'll see. I'll see how nice I can make it. You got to see some of the stuff that I ended up making yeah. today, dude. I made there's, there's some artwork that was um, it, this. Uh, it was actually gorgeous. All right, so Forza Will, mm-hmm. and then there was an altered artwork that actually had instead of um, you know the guy that's on Forza Will with his hands down, it yep. actually had Obama leaning down ripping up a Bush Cheney sign, and it was called For- <laughs> Force of Change. It was just so good. <laughs> Been, hilarious. Oh, I've been wanting to do that one for a while, and I finally got that together. I got a really nice looking top uh, where I put the background counterbalance to it. Um, mm-hmm. 
I just had to interrupt because of how sweet that was. Um, Chains of Mephistopheles you showed me was. Oh, yeah, Proxy Guys? Uh, yeah, Proxy Guys, Chains of Mephistopheles you showed me on Twitter is amazing. Uh, yeah. For those who haven't seen it, look it up on Twitter, but it's Chains of Mephistopheles with some sweet art, and then it's the most simplified, easy-to-read rules text I've ever seen. It just gets rid of all the rules text and just replaces it with a flow chart. Yep. So it's like, have you drawn a card yet this turn? Yes. Uh, go to the next step. No, draw a card. Is this um, the, your first card of the turn? It's. Do you have cards in hand? Do this. It's. It looks so sick. Yeah, yeah. The things. I mean, it, it's. He he does. Uh, he does really phenomenal work. And um, so yeah. And he was he was mentioning today earlier that it's already got over a hundred thousand views. Like. Yeah. Which isn't terribly surprising. No, I mean, but it's it's an awesome awesome rendering. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, let's see, where the hell else are we? Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot oh. to talk about. Not much legacy going on, but a whole bunch of news happening. You know, we're in the middle of spoiler season. It's that awkward time of the year where it's after after the holidays, uh, spoiler season's coming up, uh, not too many tournaments going on. But we're about to get into a bunch of stuff going down. Uh no, there's a big tournament down in uh, Pennsylvania. That's not for a couple months, but people are already starting to talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, uh, that's, is that Eternal Weekend? No, what the hell are they calling that? Extravaganza. It's not a Eternal Extravaganza. Yeah, Eternal Extravaganza. Yeah, uh, Legacy Vintage. Um, you know, first prizes or actually all prizes. Uh, you know, top eight is going to be Black Border Dual Lands. So that's a pretty okay. big deal. Are you planning on going? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I can get time off work. Uh, but I definitely do want to go to that, just because any major legacy tournament I'm down to go to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I did see it's like sixty dollar entry, which is pretty steep. But it, I guess plus hotel, the problem yeah. I've yeah plus hotel, but the the problem I've noticed uh, compared from like cash tournaments to card prize tournaments, like dual land tournaments, mm-hmm. is that they're just going to inherently get more and more expensive as the price of dual lands goes up. It's not like cash where the only thing you're fighting is inflation, and I don't think many Magic players are keeping that in mind. Uh, but with these like uh, vintage tournaments and uh, big legacy tournaments that are paying out in dual lands or even power, um, entry fees are just gonna just keep ticking up and up as the prices go up because stores can't you know lose money. They still want to keep the same amount of like profit buffer, and most of the stores aren't even really making that much money. They're just doing it as like a you know advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, what was, yeah, we were, t- jeez, I was talking with somebody about it recently about the, um, the Die Hard Games bunch of duels that we went to. Cause I think, mm-hmm. first, was it, was first place the place set of Tropicals? Uh, I forget. It's all, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like Tropicals, Tundras, Undergrounds, Volcanics for top eight. Yes, I mean, it's and like, then, a, it's like know, a non-blues. Yeah, so it's almost a grant to each of the top eight anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, so they're still getting the same number of players, but the prize pool is just going up and up. So they have to increase costs in order to still be breaking even. Because mm-hmm. if the cost of the prizes goes up and they're getting the same amount of players, they need to get a little bit more out of each player. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if in the future more stores go to a cash based prize and except for, you know, these, uh, couple one-off tournaments that are, you know, a big deal when they're doing, you know, dual lands as prizes. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be like this, you know, $60 entry fee. So that's a, yeah. this one, this one's a little bit of an outlier because they're foreign black border. So 
right there, right then and there, you're already doubling the price of the prizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can definitely understand like the sixty dollar one, but I don't think we'll be seeing you know twenty dollar dual land tournaments anymore. Well, it duels as prizes, right? I mean, the state, this the same, uh, you know, ten entry a T that ends up in uh, store support uh, price. What the fuck is it? Store credit anyway. Um, Right, well, even with that Z, is, you know, $10 entry fee, if you won, you used to be able to get a dual land. Now you have to, you know, win two weeks in a row in order to get a dual land. So we're talking blue duels, of course. Right. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it, the prize pay is just not what it used to be. Not because, you know, prizes are going down, but just, the you, you know, your dollar doesn't get stretched as far. That's still just valid when it's referred to a dual land, though. Right, yeah, this is this is just speaking, you know, strictly legacy speaking. Yeah, so I mean, if you have your dual lands, then each week you still win a show-and-tell, or you still win um, a sneak attack, or, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that, yeah, that's definitely true, yeah. if, if you're not if you're not looking to, you know, flush out your dual lands. And chances are, I guess, if you're playing without dual lands, you're probably not taking first anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> is a lot of people's route into legacy is... You know, the tournament, kind of uh, the Friday Night Hero style, where you take your winnings and you just keep reinvesting it into the deck. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, dual lands are definitely, like, the first step and first hurdle. Um, so it's just that that route seems like it's kind of closing off a little bit. I don't have a solution for that. I'm just <laughs> merely making observations. <laughs> if yeah. you come up for a solution for that, please let us know. Okay, I guess it goes back to your snow-covered dual lands, Jerry. Snow covered dual lands. Make it so. <laughs> I can't believe that shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's uh, see. Alright, so where where else are we then? Um, um yeah, I mean well we're in full swing of fate reforged uh spoilers and already the set looks pretty sweet. I've heard a lot of people just kinda complaining well not complaining, just commenting that the set looks extremely complicated. And I'll admit that that was my first reaction as well. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes overly complicated, like the siege enchantments that cycle. Okay. Uh, one one for each color. They're enchantments that, when it comes into play, you choose uh, dragons or cons, and depending on which one you choose depends on what the what the enchantment does. So when you actually see a set released, and mm-hmm. you even look at it to consider any part of it for legacy, what is it that you look at first? Um, I actually don't even take into account legacy cards until pretty late into the spoiler season because the vast majority of sets barely have one legacy playable card, let alone mm-hmm. a handful. Mm-hmm. So chances are you, there, it's not going to come until later and it's not going to be something that's blatantly expected. Um, recent years, that's changed up a bit just because there's been much more legacy playable cards in recent sets. Okay. You know, Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise in the last one. Uh, Theros was a bit of a dry spell, but, uh, Ravnica was really good, especially Return to Ravnica. We mm-hmm. got Death by Shaman, Abrupt Decay, Supreme Verdict, Rest in Peace. Uh, Return to Ravnica was one of the best one in years. Okay. But, for, for the most part, I kind of wait until the entire spoiler has come out before I, you know, start picking out the legacy cards and mostly look at just sweet cards and, you know, casual cards. Because right. I don't really care about the standard aspect of it. So you don't assess them along the way? Right, I just look for sweet cards, and the vast majority of the sweet cards would be really good in Legacy if they had, you know, two or three mana shaved off their mana cost. Exactly, 
So, uh, like, uh-huh. like when I start looking at the set and any spoilers and any cards that have been released, I, the first thing I look at is casting cost. And I, yes. Usually I either want to see one, two, maybe three, or eight. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> With Delve, yeah. Or, no, 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 I mean, uh-huh. Enter the Infinite ended up seeing place, so did Omniscience. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That, you know, like, that it's just, all. it's just super, cheap. either super cheap that's really powerful, or super expensive that's absolutely ridiculous. Right, things that you can just, like, cheat on, like, uh, Grizzlebrand. Yeah, exactly, uh-huh. there's a good one, there's a good point, Grizzlebrand, um, Omniscience, um... Just, is it something that I could do with it in this format? Well, let's see, there's one mana and it has three abilities, like Deathrite Shaman. Um, I, I gotta admit that I wasn't actually, and of course, I'm not, um, I don't have the legacy pedigree that some do, so like, I, I didn't actually understand Abrupt Decay until I started seeing how often it was played and what it was actually doing. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not alone with that. I remember with Deathrite Shaman especially. Deathrite Shaman was spoiled, mm-hmm. and I was like, this card is insane. It's a Birds of Paradise, a uh, Grim Lava Mancer stapled mm-hmm. onto the same card. Um, this card is insane. And you were like, eh, it's okay. Right, right, right. And I was snapping. Yeah, I was like snapping them up at $5 a pop. Everyone I saw, I bought at $5. Yeah, because I knew that was a legacy playable card. There was a guy at the pre-release for Return of Ravnica that was trying to get all the Deathrite Shamans he could, and he's trying to trade me for mine. I'm like, I think I want to keep it for a little bit because it's just. Oh yeah. I think at the time I'm playing elves, and I'm like, this thing's an elf. <laughs> like this, uh, oh, yeah. it's gonna be yeah. useful. <laughs> yep, uh, absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, same thing with Treasure Cruise. Treasure Cruise came out, and I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was gonna be like as good as it ended up being. But then there were other people who just said it was completely unplayable. Yeah, and I was in this letter I category. Yeah, <laughs> we all got burnt that one. Like I thought it was going to be good. I didn't think it was going to be that good, though. I don't know. I'm, I'm still. Uh, I think I would still rather be looking at treasure cruises than delvers. Yeah. Uh, but... What as far as just you know power level, you'd, you'd rather see like a delver in a set than a treasure cruise. No, I, like, if I'm playing against somebody, I would rather see them cast Treasure Cruise than Delver. Oh, I mean, they the two kind of go hand in hand, though. Granted, uh, well, Treasure Cruise seems to be going, and just, like, I've, I, I've been playing a Patriot Stoneblade deck that has no Delver, but it's got four copies of Treasure Cruise. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're both still just legacy staples already, though. Okay. It's not like they're, they're going anywhere. Um, but yeah, uh, so as far as, like, looking at the set, uh, already though, there are a couple ones that I think are pretty interesting. I don't know if they're quite there for Legacy, but they definitely piqued my interest. Like what? Uh, well, while we're on the Delve subject, this is actually, even though I just said ones that are gonna pique my interest, I'm gonna squash something right here and now, is people thinking that Temporal Trespass. Um, I think people are still kinda jaded from Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise. And seeing another what looks on the surface to be a really powerful blue delve spell, mm. but temporal trespass is nowhere near like the level of uh, treasure cruise. Okay. And that's the, uh, the time walk one, mm-hmm. three blue and eight. Uh, take an extra turn after this one. Mm-hmm. Um, my my problem with that is if temporal mastery, which is just a straight up better card than temporal uh, trespass, didn't see play. Temporal trespass is not going to see play because treasure cruise needs one blue mana and delve uh, seven and it's good on its own. Temporal Trespass needs three blue mana, eight uh, delve, and then you actually have to have a board presence in order to take advantage of it. Otherwise, 
you paid three blue and basically exiled your graveyard to play an extra land mm-hmm. and draw a card. So I don't think Temporal Trespass is going to come anywhere near the uh, level of play that the other Delve cards do. Uh, do. And I, if Temporal Mastery doesn't see play in Legacy, Temporal Trespass definitely won't see play. Yeah, that's a, I'm under that similar impression. It's uh, yeah. It doesn't for a similar reason. Like I, and, you know, like I said, I'm looking through the set and I want to see casting costs of eight or greater. And so of course I'd stop and take a look at this, but it doesn't. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I think temporal mastery just is better. And and this is I. I'm still under the impression I will see. Oh jeez, what the hell was that other stupid thing? I will still see more Enter the Infinite played than temporal trespass. And, and right, and, exactly. And Enter the Infinite does not have delve. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I just, I don't think Temporal Trespass is good at all. I think people are just, they're still reeling from Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, and they just automatically jump to the assumption that this one's going to be amazing as well. And it's very similar also to Temporal Mastery. When Temporal Mastery was first uh, spoiled, everyone freaked out and thought, you know, oh, they're breaking magic, this is going to be terrible, they're giving us power again, and it ended up doing nothing. Right, but, and it was $40 at the pre-release. Yeah, forty dollars of the pre-release, and now I think you can get it for like two or three dollars. Right, that's one of and, the uh, that's one of the reasons standard uh, shocks me. Yeah, well, it wasn't even just standard. People were excited to play it in Legacy too because they thought they thought that was going to be one of the key cards of uh, Miracles instead of Terminus and Entreat the Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing is you know uh, Temporal Mastery has an entire deck based around its mechanic in Legacy, and it doesn't get it doesn't see play in that deck. Right. Temporal uh, Trespass is not going to see play in Legacy because you can only delve so much. You can't be running... Like, people are, are struggling to run multiple copies of Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise. You can't add in another one on top of that. Hmm. It's just... It's it's too much strain in your graveyard. There just literally isn't enough cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there's some other really interesting ones. I don't know about their playability, but definitely interesting. Like the uh, Soulfire Grandmaster. Did you see that one? What color? It's uh the white one. It's one white. Uh, it's one colorless and a white for a two-two lifelink. Instants and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. Mm-hmm. So in burn, you can just deal a bunch of damage and gain a bunch of life. Now, I I'd picture that in modern. I don't picture that in legacy. Yeah, I don't think it'll see play in legacy. I just think it's very interesting, just because the ability is pretty unique. It's not something we've seen before. You know, actually, um, now that I look at it and think about it more, if the burn decks are really using Treasure Cruise like crazy in modern, and I'm not, again, I'm not terribly familiar with that format, that may actually end up being part of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, is that'll be the burn Mirror Breaker, um, just because you gain life while at the same time dealing damage. Hmm. Plus, you know, the funny interactions like with Lightning Helix, deal three, gain six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can definitely see it as a... Uh, a uh, mirror breaker, but I would also wouldn't be surprised if someone comes completely out of left field and puts together a deck that no one really saw coming. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of how unique that ability is and, you know, all, all the history of magic cards, I'm sure there's something that interacts in some crazy way with that card. Yeah, there's probably some stupid way I could actually jam that into Tin Fence and start playing Grape Shot instead of, uh, Tendrils of Agony. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Like, I'm sure there's like an infinite, infinite, infinite combo loop out there somewhere. Hmm. Just waiting for someone to find it. Um, Soul Flare is actually another interesting one, but I don't think it'll see Legacy play. That's the two black, uh, four Delve for a four four. Yeah, and then, worse than Tombstalker, right? 
Exactly. That's that's my entire problem with it. Everyone thinks that that's such an amazing card because they're saying like, oh, Dark Ritual into Buried Alive, turn one, turn two, Soul Flayer, and make it like a like flying hexproof lifelink crazy. It's like yeah, or you could just have a Grizzle Brand. <laughs> this Which some- would you rather? <laughs> There's somebody who hasn't seen Swords to Plowshares in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, that too. But I mean, I guess the only upside I can see is if you give it hexproof. But it's going through so yeah. much more work yeah. for a less valuable card. <laughs> like you can Dark Ritual into Buried Alive, searching three cards out of your deck that are dead draws if you draw them naturally, mm. or you can just turn one in Tomb, turn to reanimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd much rather be on the second part rather than trying, you know, making a Voltron with Soul Flayer. And yeah, I, I do agree. It's just it's a worse Tomb Stalker, mm-hmm. and Tomb Stalker's kind of fallen off as is. So I don't think he'll be seeing much play either. So all right, uh, let's <laughs> now that we've just shit on a bunch of cards, yeah. <laughs> why don't we find the cards that we actually think are will see play? <laughs> How about the? I don't know. Is this if this is even the elephant? But does Ukin just go in twelve post? Yeah, um, I thought so at first too, until someone pointed out to me is you can't naturally cast him off of Urza lands. No, I'm um, twelve post doesn't play Urza. Oh, lands. sorry, twelve post. Sorry, yes, you're right. Um, yeah, I can see it in uh, twelve post. Um, the thing is, is he better than Ulamog? Is he better than Karn? Um, twelve post just has a lot of options, and mm-hmm. you basically have to compare. It's like, okay, well, what are you taking out in order to play Ugin? All his dust. Um. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. I, I don't know. It's just something I'm. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, could that actually see play in any deck in Legacy? And the only thing I can think of is twelve post. Uh, yeah, definitely. If it's gonna see play in Legacy, it's gonna see play in twelve post. Um. Or metal worker? Would could metal worker get away with it? Yeah, metal worker. Basically, I put Ugin on level with Karn. Any deck that can play Karn can probably play Ugin as well. Yeah. And Karn doesn't see that much play, but he does see some play. It's what does Ugin give you that Karn doesn't, that you'd be willing to pay that extra mana. Okay, yeah. Um, it's definitely very fringy, but it may just be good enough to start popping up a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, mostly because of his plus ability. I think his plus ability is a lot better than Karn's. Karn basically made your opponent discard a card of their choice. Ugin's is bolt something, and that's okay. pretty huge in Legacy. Okay, yeah, you can um, bolt the Delver or something. Yep. Yeah. Also, Karn's minus ability was targeted. Um, Ugin's can just be a like a pernicious deed style sweeper, which is really sweet. Actually, yeah, um, that does actually get rid of a true name nemesis. Yep, yeah, gets rid of a true name nemesis. Gets rid of you know lingering souls tokens. It's very yeah, wide. tokens. Yeah, it's very wide, so it deals with kind of the swarm style decks like elves that Karn just couldn't do anything about. That is the cute thing I liked I liked about in looking at Ugin is that his minus zero gets rid of all the elemental tokens. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah, if Ugin is also just says, like, <laughs> don't do anything this turn, get rid of all tokens. Yeah, just, I don't know, it was something that I was curious about. Uh, and I, I, get rid of batter skull tokens. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does get rid of the batter skull token. So, yeah, <laughs> I can definitely see Ugin seeing a little bit more play than Karn does just because um, the legacy decks now are going more wide rather than having, you know, one super target. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of more, you know, token-based and just deploying a lot of threats at the same time. Mm. So I can definitely see Ugin seeing some play. 
uh, definitely in, you know, Metal Worker, 12 Post, um, you know, maybe Bug Walkers would might play him. Mm-hmm. Um, I can probably see him seeing play in Modern 2, but uh, what I was mentioning earlier was that someone pointed out to me is that Karn was the perfect planeswalker for 12 Post because when you have your Urza lands, they tap for 7. Um, so okay. if you have, you know, your three Urza lands and Ugin, you can't actually cast Ugin because you're one mana short. Now, I, I'm, I'm confused. Um, why do you keep mentioning the Urza lands with 12 Post? Because I always see them with just Cloud Posts and Post lands. Oh, no, I'm not, lands. I'm not talking about 12 Post. I was, I was just talking, talking about, about modern, modern yeah, Tron? Yeah, I was talking about modern, modern Tron for a second. Okay, okay. Alright. Um, <laughs> you keep oh, saying 12 Post oh, and I keep getting confused. Yeah, that's, that's the hangover talking. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you end up doing last night? Uh, uh, my friend had a party. Uh, had a nice little classy party. Broke out the suit. Oh, look at uh, that. Yeah. But definitely definitely a New Year's to remember. And, uh, <laughs> but I already forgot it. <laughs> I already forgot it. I already forgot it. Yeah, I think I'm getting a little sick, so I apologize to the listeners if I sound like a, uh, a croaking frog over here. Hey, you know what else I realized? At, at midnight, I realized this anyway. Is um, revelations at midnight on New Year's? Yeah, because I, you know, it's, it was my birthday, and all of a sudden I see somebody else is like, "And happy birthday to our friend!" I'm like, "Oh no shit!" So, um, I'll say it a little bit early. A, hap- a happy birthday also to Josh Sissio. Uh, oh really? I didn't know it was Josh's birthday too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Midcast shout out. Yep. Well, no, no, no. Scooping the top eight. It's not shadows, buddy. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think when it's a mid-cast, it's a shout-out. At All the right. end, it's the scoop. It's a diversion, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Exactly. So, so uh, what, uh, what else out of the new set? Uh, real quick, though, before I forget, yeah. I do just want to point out about the Urzalans and Ugin and Karn, okay. is that psychologically, a lot of people, once you get past, you know, like, five, six mana, they just see it, it all blends into one. Becomes like it, infinite. <laughs> it, yeah, it becomes infinite, but it actually does matter with Karn and Ugin. That one mana from seven to eight is actually pretty huge. Okay. Um, it's a lot harder to, you know, cast an eight mana compared to a seven mana, just as, you know, Cause people you- think it's, you know, like, yeah, well, people just think it's like going from one mana to two mana, that's a step, two mana to three mana, that's a step, four, uh, you know, Three minute to four, that's a step. Four to five is actually like two steps just because of the rate that you're drawing lands. You're not drawing a land each turn. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, you're, you're drawing, you know, a land every other turn or something like that. So when you stack that on top of each other, by the time you get up to seven, eight mana, the difference between seven mana and eight mana could be like three, four, five turns before you actually reach that. So, um, it is just important for people to realize that you know, it, it isn't just infinite. There is an, an actual step, and it is actually a lot more difficult to go from seven to eight, or even six to seven. Yeah, you've, well, I mean, even just going from seven to eight, and the reason that's be, that could be such a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned when you assemble Tron, you have seven mana. Well, when you're right. tra- when you're trying to get to eight, you need to fight off a Blood Moon for yet another turn. Yeah, exactly. Which which makes it an, an even bigger deal when your lands all function based off of each other. Right. Right. Um, now, what about, uh, I, I saw this this morning too, the Shu Yun, the Silent Tempest. And the only thing I could think of is it looks like half the, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the name and I'm like, okay, I wonder if they're gonna start going back to Portal in some way. But, um. Yeah, a little bit of a reference. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I, I don't know if that's legacy playable. Yeah, I doubt um, it. I don't, I don't think yeah. that, most of these cards really don't even look at it. Like, none of, Which, I mean, it, that's true of every set. But, yeah. I mean, he's definitely... People are really excited about him in EDH. You know, he has an interesting ability. 
The thing I'm, I'm um, looking at that's kind of yeah. cute is that shamantic revelation. It's like a sorcery speed regal force. It's just regal. Uh, what color is it? It's green. It's three colorless. It's three colorless, two green sorcery. Draw a card for each creature you control. So it's not even green creature the way regal force is. It has, has uh, ferocious. Yeah. You gain four life for each creature you control with power four or greater. Um, yeah, it's like a ravenous Bayloth ability. I, I thought that was pretty interesting too. Yeah, it looks like uh, a cute regal force type thing, but you can't natural order it out, so it might be cute in like modern elves, but. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, EDH, once again, it definitely seems like a sweet set for EDH. One card I'm actually interested in that may see play in Legacy, maybe, this is a far, far maybe, uh, Monastery Siege. It's the blue enchantment uh, for two colorless and a blue. Uh, when it comes into play, choose cons or dragons. Uh, if you choose cons at the beginning of your draw step, you basically loot, you draw an additional card, then discard a card. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already, we've already seen, you know, that's, that's pretty useful just as is, you know, people, uh, were playing cards, you know, that kind of reminds me of Thassa a little bit, and okay. Thassa, for a brief moment, saw some play in Merfolk, just for, just for that ability, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to scry each turn, so that's very similar to that, drawing a card and then discarding a card is pretty useful, um, but even more useful, which is, you know, really piqued my interest, is if you choose dragons, Spells your opponent's cast, the target you or a permanent you control, costs two more to cast. Hmm. Um, and that can be really useful in a destructive style deck, uh, like uh, Kira the Glass Spinner, it reminds me of. Um, also, you know, Frost Titan, obviously. Uh, so it's just one of those abilities that can be... It, it looks underpowered when you first look at it, but when you actually start playing with it, it can really, you know, take over games. Um, just You're basically coming close to mana-leaking all targeted spells your opponents play. Um, like burn can't beat that deck, that card. You know, every every spell they play costs two more to cast. Is there is there anything else in here that you think uh, might yes. be playable? I mean, I was gonna save that for last, just because I feel we can spawn an entire hour long conversation on that. One thing that I'm really liking about the new set is the new mechanic, manifest. Okay, why? What, oh. What's manifest is what? So, for those of you who have been living over under a rock for the last week or so. Uh, manifest is a new keyword, and basically, uh, when you manifest, you take the top card of your library and put it into play face down as if it was a morph card. So it's a, it's a 2-2 creature, and if it is a creature, just by, you know, happenstance or by brainstorming, um, you know it's a creature, you can then turn it face up, uh, by paying its mana cost at any time. Um, so, a lot of people don't really understand that at first. They don't understand the power level that could be. But anytime you can cheat anything into play, it's usually pretty good. Hmm. Um, so it's actually funny that we've come full circle. Um, some people not may not realize, but the inspiration for Morph comes from a card going back to Alpha called Illusionary Mask, which is also one of the most confusing cards ever printed. Um and the reason why it's important is it was the inspiration for Morph. It allowed you to play creatures uh, face down uh, as 2-2 creatures and then could flip them face up uh, at any time by p- uh, paying its mana cost, I believe. Let me double check on that. It's been a while since I've seen it. So what is it that you're thinking about, though, with this manifest? Oh, well, the best card to cheat into play ever right now, at least <laughs> for me, a uh, little Phyrexian Dreadnought action. So, you manifest the top card of your library. If it just happens to be a Phyrexian Dreadnought, you can pay one colorless to turn it face up, 
And because it's already in play, you're just turning it from face down to face up. Uh, you do not have to do the trigger of sacrificing creatures with power tw- uh, equal to 12. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I think I think I need a judge. Hey guys, what can I do for you? I recognize you. You're, you're CJ Schrader from JudgeCast. Maybe you can help us out. Jerry's telling me that when the Phyrexian Dreadnought comes into play, he doesn't have to sacrifice creatures that have power 12 or greater when it's manifested. Yeah. Is this, is that, is this true? All right. So the new manifestability lets you put things into play face down, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so what that means is when it's on the battlefield, it's already a face down permanent, just like if you'd cast something with more for face down. So face down is its, it's, its own thing. It's, it's actually... Going way too deep all of a sudden, but face down is actually a separate thing from morph, right? Morph lets you put something face down. Manifest also puts something face down. Okay. Oh, what that means is when you turn the dreadnought up, it's already on the battlefield, so it's enter the battlefield ability isn't going to trigger, and you just uh, cheated yourself one in for just one mana. So I just get a dreadnought. Don't have to, you know, stifle it. Don't have to torpor orb or any of that. It just it's manifest, right. so it's in play. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, it seems pretty spicy to me. Not bad. So, so if it's all right, if it, if it's face down from his turn because he manifests it, and it goes, let's say, to my turn, can he? He can't cast it during my turn and turn it face over, can he? Like the way he can morph. Can, you mean turn it face up for manifest? Yeah. Okay. Well, first off, disclaimer, judge disclaimer. <laughs> Any any judge <laughs> truly answering manifest questions right now shouldn't be because we don't have the uh, the FAQ. The official. Okay. Yes, but we will um, slightly before the pre-release. Mm-hmm. But since uh, secret Tabak, underground judge rulings, <laughs> yes, Matt Tabak has been answering questions about manifest on his Tumblr, and he's the rules manager for Magic. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are a few things I can say, and he has said that it'll work <clears throat> very similarly to Morph. So manifest is kind of like the morph cost, so to speak, is the uh, the casting cost. So yes, he could do it on your turn. Just well, like, wow! So like instant speed. So like morph will do it. Like yeah, morph will do it instant speed, but it doesn't use the stack, correct? Morph does right. not use the stack. That's okay. right. Okay. And um, so they can turn it face up anytime for its mana cost if it's a creature card. All right. So then that would. Wow. So yeah. is that? I wonder if that also doesn't use the stack then to manifest it. Most likely it will not because, um, like I said, there's a separation between these abilities and and being face down. And generally, as far as we've seen so far, the act of turning something face up has not used the stack. So I doubt manifest will use the stack either. Because they don't want you to be able to be like, I'm going to turn this face up and the opponent's like, shock it in response. Right. Right. So, so now, all right, Jerry, um, that actually sounds pretty good. I think I want the Phyrexian Dreadnought now. <laughs> exactly. All exactly. right, so... Luckily, if you're a judge, you may just have yourself some Judge Foil Phyrexian Dreadnoughts already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about that. So, so, CJ, if if I have the Phyrexian Dreadnought um, in play, and it goes to Jerry's turn, back to my turn, uh, let's say, now, during combat, I attack with a 2-2. I can manifest it and turn it into a... A ten ten, um, twelve twelve, a twelve twelve. But yeah, okay, <laughs> better than I, a ten ten. <laughs> I can manifest it and turn it into a twelve twelve, like before damage and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't, you know, manifest is a new mechanic, but I don't think we should, I think we should, as a group, learn to start saying uh, turn face up and not unmorph or manifest or anything like that, because that's really what you're doing. Okay. Uh, manifesting is the act of putting it face down on the battlefield. Morphing is the act of putting it, casting it face down, so on and so forth. And okay. I think, you know, before our terminology never really mattered, but I think it will soon. Right. It it kind of harkens back to that uh, that old Alpha Card uh, illusionary mask. That was the right. original way Dreadnought got, uh, you know, uh, cheated into play before Stifle was even printed. Mm. Uh, well, that's pretty sweet. Well, thank you. Uh, that that definitely clears it up. Uh, luckily, <laughs> luckily, since this is an untimed match, uh, maybe you could uh, tell our listeners a little about yourself, uh, CJ. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, <my name's... laughs> you know, introductions. Business is out of the way now. Now for introductions. <laughs> yeah, my name's Cedar Schrader. I'm a I'm a level two judge. I live in Georgia, uh, and I'm one of the co-hosts of a podcast called JudgeCast, which you can find it at JudgeCast.com or on MTGCast.com or various other services. But yeah, it's me and uh, my two lovely co-hosts, Brian Prilliman and Jess Dunks, who are both level three extraordinaires. Extraordinary judges. Ah, oh, quite excellent. Yeah, I spent I spent a lot of time when I started getting back into Magic too. I spent a lot of time listening to you guys, and I learned a lot. There was there was um some plays that uh so the guys that I play with are really good. Um, so any any information I can learn um it helps me out a lot. And there was some things that I actually picked up from you guys um, when I started playing again. That was really valid. And actually, me and Jerry were talking about something recently. Maybe you could answer another question for us, too. I'd love to. Okay. So, so <laughs> the we most were... asked judge question of all time. <laughs> uh, actually, I was going to go with a different one, but okay. Uh, okay. No, okay. <laughs> so, I'm jumping the train. Jumping yeah. the train. The um, most asked judge question of all time is uh, how many rounds are left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Other than <laughs> other than that one. <laughs> um, uh, maybe, maybe CJ can actually guess this. Uh, for... Play interaction in legacy matches. What would you say is the most asked uh, question of judges that gets asked more often than any other one? Uh, Did you say I, maybe he could guess this? Maybe. I mean, I just maybe he's I just been asked it? <laughs> yeah, maybe that too. Based on my own personal experience, I've heard this question asked at tournaments more than any other question. I don't know, man. I hear a lot of questions. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I bet. The one I'm referring to is, um, I abrupt decay, my opponents rest in peace. What goes to the graveyard? What gets exiled? Yeah, this one's a good one because there are, there are other, um, you know, there are other cards beyond just abrupt decay and rest in peace. Right. Do this, right? That's what I love about yeah, this Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, it could be anything, but I just feel those are the ones that come up most often. Yeah. Those two. So, if I might read, uh, these cards real quick. <laughs> Abrupt Decay, I don't know, maybe all your listeners know these cards, but on, on JoshCast we always read the cards. So it's sure, always decays. read the cards. Yeah. Yep. Destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost three or less. That's the important part here. And mm-hmm. Rest in Peace reads, uh, if a card or token would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Yes. So that's a replacement effect. You can tell by the word instead there. Uh, you're replacing going to Ooh. the graveyard with exile. So, what happens when you Abrupt Decay a Rest in Peace? Um, so when you, when you're casting a spell, let's, you know, let's take a step back and let's remove the rest in peace and say, when you abrupt decay a, uh, a bear cub, 
what happens, okay. right? Um, <laughs> Back to the bear cubs. You cast Abrupt yeah. Decay, it goes on the stack, you know, p- players pass priority, it starts to resolve, it destroys the bear cub, and then the final act of any spell resolving is going to the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So yes. at this point, it'll go to the graveyard. So uh, when you Abrupt Decay a Rest in Peace, <clears throat> you cast the Abrupt Decay, you're targeting the Rest in Peace, uh, we start doing the words on the card, so Abrupt Decay says to destroy the Rest in Peace, so it does. Rest in Peace has its replacement effect, so it'll exile itself, and then Abrupt Decay resolves, and when Abrupt Decay finishes resolving and goes to the graveyard, well, there's no Rest in Peace in play because it destroyed it, so right. it goes straight to the graveyard. So Rest in Peace will exile itself even though it's removed from the battlefield at that point? It's, so, it's, in Magic... It's, it's like a lingering, right? No, it's not lingering. Like, in Magic, something can either be, you know, it, it can only be in one of the zones at a time. There's no, you know, in-between zone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so either Rest in Peace at that point is destroyed and in the graveyard or not, but we're still in the act of destroying it, which means to put it in the graveyard. Um, so it must still be on the battlefield, therefore its own ability will still apply. So it's similarly applied, uh, like, uh, what is it, last known information? Um, no. no okay. Last known information well, is, it- is when we need the characteristics of a card, and we, um, and the card no longer is in the zone we think it'll be. This okay. is just, will this replacement effect apply? And the answer okay. is. Is it, is it kind of like if someone's trying to move equipments from one creature to the other, and you destroy the new creature in response, that equipment's still attached to the old creature because there's no in-between between them? It's either on the old creature or the new creature. It's not no. ever... <laughs> no, okay. That's, that's because equip is an ability that targets, and when you get rid of its only legal target... It's the countered. The equip ability is countered. Oh. Okay. Ah. Ah. I love these light bulb moments. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I feel that's kind of why this is one of the most, you know, asked judge questions, is because it's so counterintuitive that the rest in peace exiles itself because you think, oh, it's destroyed, its effect doesn't happen anymore, it should just go to the graveyard, but it doesn't. It's destroyed, but as it's being destroyed, it's telling itself to exile itself. Yeah. So, good, Jerry. uh, I was just going to say, and and I feel that's just why it's hard for a lot of uh, players to to wrap their head around that, and I've asked it myself, judges, you know, know, numerous times in tournaments because I can never keep it straight myself, and I've definitely seen... Dozens and dozens of other people ask it at the same time, uh, especially well, when uh, Bug Delver was really big. It got particularly confusing, and you you guys can help me here. I don't actually know the names of a lot of cards, but it was the creature that would exile. Um, was Samurai. it just instant sorceries? Oh, oh, uh, Dryad Militant or Samurai yeah. the Pale Curtain? Dryad Militant was the one I was okay. thinking about. Okay. Um, because people would get confused if you if you Doomblade the Dryad Militant. Uh, yeah. The Doomblade would not be exiled because of the exactly what I just described. Okay. Uh, or abrupt decay it even. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you lightning bolt the Dryad Militant, the lightning bolt is exiled. And uh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, because it's it's. So sorry, go ahead, CJ. No, you can. <laughs> uh, okay, well, if I could take a guess, I think I actually learned this from you guys. When you, it's it's similar to like when you lightning bolt the Tarmogoyf. If you lightning bolt the Dryad Militant, the Dryad Militant doesn't die until the state-based actions are checked, which aren't checked until the lightning bolt resolves. So when the lightning bolt resolves, it's exiled, and then the state-based actions are checked. The Dryad Militant is killed. Yes, that's exactly it. Wow, look oh. at that! Look at that! 
Yeah, yes, actions are not checked until a player would receive priority, and it's at that point that we're like, oh, here's a creature with three damage marked on it. Let's kill it. But by that point, it's already well after the uh, spell has resolved. So you get that. You just reminded me of something else, CJ. I gotta thank you again because um, you you actually said that on a cast, and it stuck with me. State based actions are checked whenever a player would receive priority, mm-hmm. and and uh, we were at the local tournament, and there was something that happened where somebody cast show and tell. One guy put in humility, the other guy put in ashen rider, and the guy that put in ashen rider went to exile the humility, and they called the judge, and the judge said one thing, and then uh, aside from the table, I said, but. Aren't state-based actions checked whenever a player would receive priority, like before he'd go to put that on the stack? And then he he thought, oh yeah. And then he looked at, it, he's like, no, that actually doesn't happen. So, oh. it, but it, it was like the wording <laughs> just came right back to me from the way that you worded, because it makes the the way it's the way that you guys worded on the cast um, sticks with me in such a way that it makes it easier for me to recognize it in gameplay. Because uh. passing priority is something that becomes very important in Legacy and um, is easily yes. overlooked if you're not used to the format yet. And I hate I hate to keep correcting you. <laughs> no, 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 feel free. No, correct me. But uh, that, I, that I, I am not, right I am there. Not, I am not correct on most things. <laughs> yeah, that interaction right there has nothing to do with uh, state-based actions, unfortunately. Um, There's a lot of things that look similar, but... I know, there are. <laughs> Hold on a second, though. With the, Judges can be so tedious. That's well, a continuous Oh, all right, because humility is not a state-based action. No, it's, it's a, a continuous, continuous effect. continuous effect, right, yeah. okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it was it was the fact that the priority was pointed out to me that stuck with me that way. That you know it. Okay, <laughs> valid. Um, um, while we're on the graveyard subject, I had okay. another question come up that I was wondering about. Um, okay. Involving I've been well so far, but <laughs> there we go. Yeah, not to be wrong. You. Eventually, <laughs> it's a quiz. Okay, um, with um, tokens going to the graveyard, so. Uh-huh. Say you're playing against Dredge, and your opponent has a bridge from the Blows in the graveyard, and you have a Batterskull token. If your Batterskull token dies, does the bridge from Blows get exiled? No, man. Bridge from Below. Uh, and bridge from Below. Yeah, no worries. Feel free to look bridge, it up. It's, bridge from Below is a card I have to read every single time. Yeah, it's such an odd card, but I think the... The phrasing on it that comes into play here is whenever a creature your opponent controls would die, exile bridge from the blow from your graveyard. Hey, Jerry, no influencing the judge. Ah, <laughs> uh, that, that may be a reportable offense, I don't know. <laughs> so, so you, you have the bridge from below, I'm your opponent, and I had a token die? Yes, well, you I, had a token die. So, I think the question on, on where the play actually comes in is, uh, maybe we should even, could even use AppNap. With uh, active player, non-active player. Sure. Um, so let's say I'm 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 the active player and I'm playing Stoneforge Mystic and I have a Batter Skull in play. Jerry's the non-active playing and, and he's playing Dredge. If I pay three colorless mana to bounce the Batter Skull, mm-hmm. it's going to the the um, germ token from the Batter Skull dies. Is mm-hmm. that going to get rid of Jerry's bridge from Belows? Okay. Um, I mean, all, all the trigger condition here is when a creature is put in an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, which is what just happened. Um, the token is a creature. Uh, it will go to the graveyard uh, briefly. Um, so it will trigger the bridge from below. Huh. See, the reason why that's confused for me is, I, I don't know, so I, I played back in the day before the rule, uh, a bunch of the rules changes, and then I came back to playing Magic, and so I had to learn about, you know, damage no longer goes on the stack anymore and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But 
what I remember is that tokens just never went to the graveyard. They just kind of disappeared. So but they do go to the graveyard. Yeah, I you know, I don't want to break your heart, but if you're anything like me, <laughs> um then if you're anything like me, then when we played back in those times, um honestly, we just played wrong. <laughs> I, I, I would wager that tokens did go to the graveyard briefly back then, because the the concept wow. of a state based action existed back then, right. and uh, that is also one hundred percent correct. You know, yeah. I remember the days of I tap my Lenore Elf, search my library for a forest, and put it into play. Yeah, the uh, the old <laughs> in response to you attacking icy manipulator, your guy, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, like, like everyone did that. Uh, yeah, the the good old days, as we like to call them. <laughs> so, as, as far as I'm aware, tokens have always gone to the graveyard, and then state-based actions clean them up and make them cease to exist. Um, huh. well, so, I'll, yeah. And I'll that's kind of hinted at... That. That's kind of hinted at by the first line of Bridge from Below, which, you know, reads, whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard. You know, why oh. would it need to say that if tokens didn't go to the graveyard, right? Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I've never noticed before. So... So it turns out that bouncing your batter skull is a valid play against Dredge. Yeah, and that is actually very, very relevant in uh, term- tournament magic, because mm-hmm. that play can definitely come up quite often. Because sometimes a Stoneforge Mystic deck doesn't have much else to do against Dredge. <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> oh, man. But So, CJ, have you had a chance to kind of look over the spoilers that are coming out for the new set? Uh, a little bit. I've heard, uh, we were talking a little earlier, a lot of people have been not necessarily complaining, but just commenting that uh, this set looks to be very, very complicated. Well, um, I mean, Morph is always complicated, so or Face Down is always complicated, so that's right. That's part of it. There's that, but also just, um, just a lot of things seem overly complicated, so we had the whole, you know, we've always had charms, and then they recently updated the templating for charms, but now mm-hmm. it looks like they're actually adding that templating onto enchantments now. Uh, with the, the siege cycle, if you've seen those. Yes, I have. Um, so, do you feel that Wizards is kind of getting a little more bold as far as, you know, they, they feel, they understand that a lot of their players are, you know, very smart and they can kind of handle the increased complexity? Well... I don't know. I don't personally see the sieges as too too complex. I, I think people are very used to being able to. Uh, those are called modes. Choose a mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think that's terribly complex. It's a little bit more memory, though, yeah. to remember Conjure Dragon for everything. Oh, so uh, yeah. I wonder if it's going to end up where you write down what you chose the same way you kind of do with a Python needle. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no, maybe people will just remember. Who knows? Yeah, maybe it's also just more in your face now that we have the new templating. It's definitely more pronounced. It whereas, is. It definitely is. So maybe it's just a psychological thing where we no. think it's more complex just because it, we notice it more often now. No, I mean you are right. Uh, we have never seen. Um, I don't think we've ever seen uh, into the battlefield abilities like these, and these, they're not triggered abilities, but they are. Uh, Actually, also replacement effects. But we've never mm-hmm. seen these kinds of modal replacement effects, I don't think. And then uh, I believe there's even creatures with triggers that are also modal, which I don't think we've ever seen before either. So there's definitely a lot more of that. In this yeah, set. definitely. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Like, is that... Assassin. Yeah. 
Right, and so that's that's also like, you know, Phyrexian Revoker and Piping Needle, and, you know, once it comes into play and you name a card, it's resolved. They can't, you know, wait for you to see what you choose and then decide whether they want to counter it or not. They basically have to decide whether they want to counter it before it's, you know, the decision is made. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, yeah, um, that's that's also important to remember. Yeah, so the new cards like Hooded has happened... Um, they have into the battlefield triggers where the revoker and stuff has a replacement effect that you choose as they enter the battlefield. Okay. So okay. the assassin would enter, trigger, and then someone, and then, but the opponent doesn't get to know your choice before the trigger resolves. So they, they still don't get to know, you know, when it's counter spell time or anything like that. Okay, but they could still say they had a shock. They could still shock the hooded assassin before they decide to put a plus one, plus one counter on it? Yes. Yes, that could work. Okay. So yeah, so say I wanted say I wanted to shock Hooded Assassin, when in the process of it, you know, resolving as a card, should I shock it? You know, um I well right after it resolves on the trigger triggers. Now I, I should have been I was a little um uh unclear there. When the trigger happens, they do mm-hmm. have to choose the mode at that moment. So you get to know if they chose to put a counter on or chose to destroy target creature um, that would dealt damage this turn. You get to know okay. what they chose, but it hasn't resolved yet. So Okay, so my opponent goes, Hooded Assassin, and I'm like, okay. Uh, my opponent goes, I choose to put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and I say, in response, shock it. Yeah. Is that a problem? Okay, yeah. cool. Because uh, modal abilities, you have to choose the mode when it goes on the stack, which is a little different than Frexing Revoker and all that stuff. Right, whereas it's as soon as it comes into play, it's yeah, it, that's what it is. Yeah, as it enters, choose something. I got. I, I have a question. I'm just curious. Um, well, all right, one thing I'll mention. Do, do you get to judge a lot of legacy down in Georgia? Is there a lot of Eternal at all? I think there is. Um, I'm going to be honest. Uh, one event is not too different from another event for me. Uh, I mean, you know, part of being a judge, you don't really memorize cards so much as rules, right? Right, right. So, uh, I, but yeah, I, I judge, you know, I okay. judge it all. Because <laughs> what, what I'm curious about is, um, and I'll give you an example. So at, at GP Boston up here, one of the, this is the most crazy rules interaction I've seen. And it took 11 judges with phones. <laughs> to, uh, one guy had Chains of Mephistopheles out, mm-hmm. and his opponent had Sylvan Library. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to figure out how, if he triggers the Sylvan Library and draws three, how Chains is going to interact and what the end result is going to be. And it was so complex that I'm, I'm, so what I'm curious about is, what's the most, is there, can you give me an example of probably the most complex, convoluted legacy play that you've seen judges involved with? Um, honestly, I don't know why, uh... Or not just Legacy, just the most convoluted judge call you've ever had. So, hey, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't fully understand the confusion there over Sylvan Library and Chains, to be honest, but, um, we cannot talk about that also. (laughs) (laughs) The, the things that, uh, I hate as a judge are basically math questions. So, they involve, um... Uh, what is it? Right, right of replication on that, um, that golem, precursor golem. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, uh, is, it gets very mathy. Um, 
particularly right. if you do it again. Okay. Kick I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the precursor golem does. Oh, we'll you make right now. So when he enters the battlefield, he puts two three three colorless golem artifact creature tokens onto the battlefield. Okay. And then whenever <laughs> a player casts an instant or sorcery that targets a single golem, you copy that spell for each other golem that that spell could target. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's a headache. <laughs> yeah, so doing it once isn't too bad, right? Because you, you just get, um, I say it's not too bad, 15. You get 15 golems, I think. Uh, it's it's when you do it again where you start to get really, really mathy. Uh, so beyond, like, <laughs> along those lines, mm-hmm. anything involving a hive mind. Um, yes. Um, Cards like that. That's what really bugs season. me. Yep. Doubling season, sure. Um, that that's when, yeah, that's when I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with this. Uh, <laughs> like times times to the fifty sixth power, <laughs> and you're like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like most of the, most rules questions, they can be answered. Um, there's only very few that truly can't, and that's stuff that judges talk about to amuse themselves. But it's pretty <laughs> boring. J- Judge Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. I was say you get you get some weird stuff, uh, particularly involving generally humility. Uh, I know humility scares a lot of people, but there is actually a a well defined system for how those kinds of things work. And, and once you learn it, it's not so bad. Yeah, right. and there was um, what was the acronym you guys were using on your cast too? It was something about a cat. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we use that, but uh, all uh, wait, is that no? That's casting a spell. Oh yeah, what, what do we use? I don't know because I just remember. Um, C C T T C A P. I just yeah. like that, which is <laughs> copy control text type colors abilities and then power and toughness. Uh, but yeah, different people have their different <laughs> mnemonics. I don't remember which one we talked about on the show. Right, right. No, it was a while ago because you guys were talking about humility, and it got me into one of the things that me and Jerry have been talking about it recently. Is I started playing a land tax deck that plays Painter Servant and mm-hmm. Grindstone and humility. Yep. yep. And, and um, that's a weird one. Yeah, and one of, actually one of the. I was playing a blue-white Landstill deck recently, and after I think I either lost game one, game two, I suddenly realized how bad humility is in a Landstill mirror match because he was just using Fairy Clonclave, and my humility was dead against his deck. Right. Well, that that reminds me of there's the entire humility-based deck, the uh, Layer 7B deck, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the layer that humility operates on. Uh, so. Yep. Yeah, the entire deck was based around taking advantage of humility because cards like uh, Gideon, Mishra's Factory, and Batterskull all kind of skirt the edges and are able to, you know, not be turned into 1-1 creatures and make them, you know, the biggest guys on the field because of it. Yeah, Batterskull actually... Yeah, bat- it humility makes right? Batterskull better. Yeah, right? yeah it makes <laughs> it bigger. token is a 1-1. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, now, humility applies in other layers beyond just 7B, but that... Yeah, that's a whole topic. (laughs) I think our our listeners are shocked that there is it goes as deep as seven (laughs) B. Yeah, uh, seven is the only one with sub layers. Um, What do you think of kind of the new manifest enchantments that have been coming out? Um, Have you seen like uh, light form and rage form? Have you seen uh, the spoilers for those yet? Oh, I think they, they manifest the card, then attach to it. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. They're enchantments that, when they come into play, manifest and then become auras. Uh, people were joking that it reminds them of cards that look like they were from Alpha that went through, like, 27 rules changes and have been reworded a bunch of times. Yeah, like Amy did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to find any of them here. I mean, it's from um, a rules perspective. They're pretty straightforward. Oh, here's Rage Form. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's just, I think it's yeah, 
it, it's just a, uh, a triggered ability makes it a turns it an R and then it attaches to whatever got manifested. I, I think the confusing part lies in that they're enchantments, but then they become in auras. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is there a reason why they can't be just enchant auras already? Is it because they they auras need a target in order to be played? That that would probably be it. Yeah, because you wouldn't be able to manifest then. You wouldn't be able to go onto the manifested creature. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I would think that's exactly it. How much does uh, kind of judging the player come in, into it? You know, um, when you're trying to figure out what happens, does your the way you rule kind of you know really? How much does you looking at your opponent that not your opponent but the players and kind of getting an idea of you know. Are they trying to scum them? Are they? Is it an honest, honest mistake? How how often does that come to play? Um, you know, it, it really depends on what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. Failing to reveal a morph right now is a is a big one, right? Is it right? You know, was, was that an honest mistake? Was it you know trying to hide something? Mm. Yeah, you know, a lot's been written on this. I mean, you, you basically just have to investigate. You have to go with your gut. Um, you know, just try to to figure it out. Um, you you don't want to one thing one thing the really the only thing that policy talks about with regards to this is we don't treat players differently based on um uh personality if, traits or so no no not even that uh if if they're like a pro player uh, or okay. a brand new player you know so the same way um now when you're investigating for disqualification or cheating yeah you can use you can take their past into account but when we're giving a pretty standard infraction, um, you don't want it to really take their past into account because you don't want to be like, well, you're John Finkel. You definitely knew you had to reveal um, at the end of the game, right? Well, you know, John Finkel can make a mistake too. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you also don't want to be like, well, you're a new player, so I'm going to let you off um, because you made X, Y, Z mistake. No, you know, we want to have fair, consistent rulings for everyone, hopefully, right. perfectly. Right. But it, but it does come into play because that that kind of reminded me of the whole uh, the bird and Cheney situation that happened sure. not too long ago. That Absolutely. you know he, he just basically stacked up so many rules infractions that they decided to ban him. Uh, I had a situation. Well, no, he 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 did something specific that got him banned. I don't know what it was. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. But it, it wasn't just hey, you've messed up so many times, we're suspending you. I I know he did something that got him disqualified from an event, and then they decided to suspend him again. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I think from, like, the specific event he was suspended because he did something, and then they just decided, you know, this has been, like, a clear and consistent pattern. Sure. You're, yep. you're you're doing this over and over and over again. No, I was um, uh, I was head judge of a Star City Games Legacy Open once, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a call with Bertini, which was, um, it was basically just uh, what we would call in proper draw at Star Games. And uh, a lot of people were mad at me because I did not disqualify him. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> I was like, I was like, people, you know, people can make mistakes. Even Bertini can make an honest mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to let the fact that he was Bertini influence, influence that. Right. Um, now maybe it, it can be in my head to be like, well, is he cheating? I don't know. Um, but you know, also, also, I want to, I want to believe that. Because at that point he had served his suspension and come back. You know, I, I don't want to keep punishing the guy if he'd done a suspension. Now, mm-hmm. since yeah. then he got disqualified anyway. So it was all moved. <laughs> but at exactly. the time, yeah, there's a big Reddit thing. There, people were like upset with me for, not oh. for what I believed after you know everything was an honest mistake. Hmm. Right. 
Exactly. And yeah, it's totally possible. I, a lot of people have said that it, he is a very fast and loose player. So yes. some people think it was just, you know. That's what I've heard too. Exactly. So it's like part of it is scummy and then part of it is just him honestly just playing so fast that even he doesn't realize he's doing it. Cause I've had definitely had moments like that too where, you know, I, I'm playing and luckily I'm like well known in the, where I play. So people just kind of know my style. Right. But <laughs> and that's We're just like top decking like a champ. <laughs> I, I, just have the, I have the luck of the Irish and I'm just terrified one day someone's just gonna like blow up in my face and accuse me of cheating just because I have, I have ridiculous luck that I don't deserve. <laughs> but like I've, I've had things like that where like I was like sloppily like filling out the match slip and uh, like accidentally filling it out in the wrong order so that it looked like I won when I actually lost and then we all had to do repairings and that's an embarrassing moment. <laughs> yeah, we we hate doing repairings. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm actually curious, do you have any plans to judge any of the GPs this year and how long in advance do you need to apply for them? Um, well, obviously they're taking uh, applications for Vegas right now. Actually, they've been taking Vegas for months before it was announced to be Vegas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they put it up as Grand Prix TBD, and they're like, there's like it's going to be. But book your home, but ho- book your hotel room in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's Juno. Uh, congratulate, it's Juno, Alaska. You all right? Signed. Exactly. So you know, some judges were like, "No, I'm not going to apply for <laughs> parts unknown." Um, yeah. But now we know it's Vegas, so they've been taking that one for a while. Uh, it really depends on the GP um, and the organizer and the judge manager when they want to put up applications. It's usually, I'd say, um, three or four months out probably is when they start okay. taking applications. Um, ideally, you would know whether or not you're accepted to the GP within six weeks before the event. Uh, you know, it doesn't always work out, but. It's different people for each one, so. And do you have any, I mean, do you have any plans to do any of the GPs or any of the events up in the Northeast? Uh, I travel fairly infrequently, which is gonna make what I say next not make much sense, but I'm, <laughs> uh, no, the answer is no to the Northeast. I don't okay. intend to. Um, I may go to GP Toronto in May. I'm waiting on the, um, oh. the applications to go up. And then I may also go to Star City Games Dallas in March, but okay. I haven't decided yet. Hmm. Very cool. I mean, and then these uh these new PPTQs they keep like they keep us busy. Is, yeah. is really. that does that so that puts does that put a that must put an extended um workload on the judges? It does because it increases the number of tournaments per year to be had. And and it has to be head judged by a level two. Right. Oh. So we were yeah. only having two or three PTQs. Per season, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, for Georgia as an example, I believe we have 20 PPTQs, um, this season. Wow. And we have to have a level two there and we only have six or seven level twos. And honestly, Georgia's pretty good off, uh, compared to areas around here except Florida. Um, we have a lot more level twos than a lot of areas, so. Okay. I know one of the guys was mentioning it up, up in like, um, is it central or northwest Canada where they have yeah, like such a hike? Fields. Such a hike to get, even get to one of these events that by the time they get to the event, there's only one judge in half the country that can actually judge it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so. have you noticed as Wizards kind of pushing a lot of more level ones to get their level two? Like, uh, are they giving you any support? Actually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> shortly before PPTQs were announced, they made the requirements for level two a little more strict. 
Oh, uh, even better. (laughs) Yeah, and that was to, um, but it it made sense. It's because they, Wizards, uh, and then by extension the judge program, decided that a new level two, a brand new level two, should be able to head judge a PPTQ. That was their decision. So the the definition of level two had to shift a little bit to accompany that. Right. Uh, So what that ended up doing was making it a little bit more strict. Because before, I I would call level two a competitive judge, meaning they are good to go at a competitive event, Um, but not necessarily head judge one, not yet. You know, usually that was a little bit of a growth area. You you kind of learned and and moved into that role. So we're in a transition period. Yeah. So so they actually increased the workload by increasing the number of tournaments, increased the requirements needed to be a level two, Mm -hmm. and took away um, the judge promo foils? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to bring that up, too, because I was thinking about becoming a judge, too, just because I like the idea of, you know, just knowing more about the game and being able to, you know, figure these things out on my own without having to call a judge all the time. But also just kind of the incentive of those judge foils are pretty sweet. And being able to go to a GP and get those judge foils definitely makes it worthwhile. But then as soon as I was looking, yeah, as soon as I was looking into be, like getting my level one, they took away the promos and instantly my desire to become a judge kind of dried up. Now, the, the, uh, so. They still exist though. It's just different in how you get them. They exist for, um, uh, judge conferences, which they existed before as well. Um, yeah, so it's now kind of up to the TOs to to compensate us. And and compensation, you know, the base compensation has gone up some uh with the foils going away. But mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, I was always yeah. told that if you actually became a judge for the foils, you did it wrong. It it's not if you actually like calculate out your your dollars per hour. Right. Uh, oh, it's yeah. Not, it's, it's not it's less good. than half a minimum wage. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad, but it's not good. Yeah. Like if, if mm-hmm. your sole interest is, is flipping over foils. Um, right. Yeah. That you is... just, you just won't enjoy it. You won't have fun. Right. right. I mean, you definitely have to also just enjoy being a judge too, but yes. it was just the fact that they took those away. It's like, at least that way you could try and break even. You know, yeah. You, well, we still can. Uh, yeah. Vegas, Vegas is compensating. Pretty well, right? You get, well, yeah, you get paid in boxes, expensive. right? So sometimes, well, sometimes yeah. depends on the event. Yeah, but they have to actually attract in a lot of judges. I mean, they're, if they're actually ca- planning to cap at ten thousand, ten thousand, yes, who Vegas. knows if they're going to get close to that? But how many how many players would you expect per judge at a Grand Prix? Say, you know, like Grand Prix Vegas, they they expecting ten thousand players. How many judges? How many judges would you expect so that there is a judge to player ratio? And that what would that judge to player ratio be? So, what I've been told uh, as kind of a, a good number for for events mm-hmm. is you want one judge for every thirty players. So okay. let's be very nice and say one judge for every forty players, because I'm gonna <laughs> do the math right now. Okay, two hundred and fifty judges. All right, um, is what you would want for that. Uh, oh, but that's only counting the the main event. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is still Modern Masters. There were oh, tons of side events. That's right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know how many they're going for, but it wouldn't shock me if I I do know that the word has kind of been put out that if you are level two or above and you apply to GP Vegas, you are almost guaranteed to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, so one to thirty, one to forty players doesn't sound I mean unreasonable. It seems like that's about like probably a normal FNM. You about thirty players and a judge. Yeah. 
So it doesn't seem unreasonable, but that definitely, I mean, with a 10,000 player expectancy, that does require quite a number of judges. Oh, sure. And then sealed, um, requires sealed. more, uh, particularly in the beginning there because of all the deck building and all that. Oh, oh yeah, and deck yeah. checks. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard deck checks for sealed events are brutal. Sure. Uh, yeah, they're kind of annoying. Because you're checking a smaller deck, but it's almost all singletons, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also, you have to compare it to, you know, what they opened, what they registered. Well, I guess that doesn't, isn't really any different than compared to, uh, the, the a regular, regular yeah, yeah, regular deck. Well, that's pretty interesting. So, what, what, I mean, okay, you judge, um, how often do you get a chance to actually just play? Like this yourself as enjoyable. It's been a long judge call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we get the, about a, a t- 20 minute extension? <laughs> oh, it's been much longer than a 20 minute extension. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did have to give a, what? Or I gave like a 11 minute extension and then the guy's got like a 14 minute extension after that. Ugh. Oh man. It burns us up because <laughs> well, they used if, it. They used every minute. If oh, you God. need, if you, if you need to go CJ, you can <laughs> no, just no, let no. me know. There's no problem. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, I actually don't play very much. Um, particularly constructed. I, I don't play very much magic. Um, I, I play a lot with my friends and, and stuff like that, but actual constructed magic, I, I very rarely play, actually. But, so, so when you say you play with your friends, what do you mean? Like, um, Have you guys heard of Type 4? Oh, yeah. I have not. Oh, actually, maybe I have, but well, could you no, describe so, it? <laughs> yeah, you basically have a, a pre-constructed pile of cards, we'll call them, and, um, and you have uh, infinite mana... Um, the way it was taught to me is you can only play one spell a turn. Okay. Um, the way we play is that you can just cast whatever you want because we, we do this at lunch like almost every day. Um, Where do you work? I, what do you mean? I work for a software <laughs> company. Oh, you said you do this at lunch. I'm like, geez, I wish I'd played magic at lunch. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. We, uh, I, well, you know, I cheated and got two of my friends hired, so. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's, <laughs> That's how you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, so. And then it's all pre, you know, it's pre-constructed, so you don't have like fireball in there, right? Because fireball would right. be broken. But uh, you know, you have a bunch of stuff like that, and that's basically what we do, um, which isn't bad for a, a judge because, you know, we got morph in there, we got we got everything mm-hmm. in there. So mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah. that kind of reminds me of a format that I play with my friends called Danger Room, where I have <laughs> this like box of you know 300 cards that's a pseudo cube without any of the mana fixing, mm-hmm. and everyone draws off of the same deck and. You can play any card face down as a, you know, basically a, uh, a rainbow land. Okay. So dead cards you don't really want to cast, you can play face down and, and use them as mana, and then you can, you know, just play a regular game off of that. But everyone's drawing off of the same deck, so there's a lot of just hilarious cards in there, like Vampiric Tutor. Vampiric Tutor has an entirely different meaning when the person next to you is going to be drawing the card. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> for, as it's, as it was designed, is you share the deck. Uh, so yeah, like brain, brainstorm is great. You know, like you know, yeah, like <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, we, um, we were doing we were doing type four a little bit before some drafts, um, and one of the guys had put it together, and we were throwing some of the unhinged cards in it because it was just type four anyway, mm-hmm. um, and it became maybe uncomfortable or awkward because some of the cards that that are in the unhinged have gotcha. As a mechanic, mm-hmm. and then you, you can like say a word and return it back to their hand. So there was like a destroy target creature that had gotcha. So whenever somebody did said a word, they could return that uh, removal spell really back to their hand. And yep. it was it was almost like a tag team effect going on, and it, it became less enjoyable to play. I think 
for yeah. the other people. <laughs> I bet. That also kind of reminds me of a version of Kamikaze we play. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kamikaze before. I have um, not. It's a way to basically just um, play with a couple packs. So mm-hmm. everyone takes a pack, opens the pack, shuffles it, and then that's their deck. They draw mm-hmm. three cards, and they can play one card per turn, and they have ten mana to use. Okay. Um, but then there's also one where everyone gets a pack, you shuffle all the packs together, and then everyone shares that deck and just plays a game off of that with, you know, ten mana to use. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I have definitely noticed that judges like their alternative forms of magic. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, we used to play DH, but you can't play that during lunch. And, uh, <laughs> just, yeah, we just eventually one day just started playing this the entire time. And we, you know make little changes to it, but that's basically what I do. That's cool. Very and I'll, cool. I'll draft or play sealed occasionally, but very rarely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, you don't play uh, Magic Online at all? No, uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not alone in that thought. <laughs> no, it's, it's not even because of that. I just, you know, I already have my my real collection. I, I just not not interested. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can um, definitely see that, too. Yeah. Um, in general, I just I just like judging more than playing. <laughs> Yeah, I was always been my thing. It was always kind of a concept that it was it was kind of foreign to me. Just that you like magic so much that you don't even play it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the the trader too, the person who just strictly trades magic but doesn't right. play. <laughs> yeah, I can never be that guy. Yeah, but well, it's almost like you are just in a, a different form. Right. It's you're like you're you're judging, so you're not really playing, but you're you're helping other people play. Um, it's just kind of like the, like magic has evolved beyond the point of it just being a game. Now it's an entire kind of like subculture. Now, a little bit more, uh, of a personal question, maybe CJ. Okay. Um, you said you work for a software company? Yeah. Did you do software programming? Yeah, like every other judge, yes. Okay. And <laughs> oh, really? Well, I didn't know that about judges. <laughs> oh, man. When you, you're at GP, they usually have all the judges sit down and like introduce themselves. I would say, uh-huh. I'm probably being too conservative. I'd probably say at least 50% are software developers. Wow. Okay. So, and, and that's part of why, one of the reasons I gravitated towards legacy as opposed to standard was the deep level of interactions and that it gets my mind active and working. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I personally work in a CNC machine shop. Um, when I studied engineering, I was studying mechanical engineering and I, I play around a lot with, uh, code, but it's more CNC code, not so much. I can I can use C. Um, I don't, but I don't really know Python or Java. So like mm-hmm. the certain code languages that I don't know, but the, you know, if, like if if that's what you do when you go to work is to do coding. Yep. A lot of times you have a, you have a um a troubleshooting tendency that is that that's you're good at that job because that's what you find enjoyment in is that troubleshooting and that interaction that happens in coding that can translate into magic rules. Yes. So so it doesn't surprise me too much that um. It doesn't surprise me when you say the majority of judges you come across are really computer coders. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, now that you say that, that makes total sense, but I would never have called that just, you know, <laughs> ten minutes ago. <laughs> I wouldn't have figured it out. At the it, it's, no. it's all problem solving, right? So it's yeah. right. how do these two cards work together, or how do I, I don't know, fix this bug? And the yeah. interesting thing is that they can p- keep having all these bugs in Moto. <laughs> like, yeah. Now that you mention it, that makes it quite ironic. Moto, I mean, honestly, Moto must be pretty amazing to to handle because how many interactions does it handle correctly? And, and that's, uh, right. that's what I was honestly. thinking when they started when they were mentioning. Uh, I think you guys even mentioned it when they were going to come out with Vintage Masters. Uh-huh. The, the the way it would have to be coded to handle every different card and and including humility. 
uh-huh. um, would, would take such such a, like um, you know in C anyway you would have to like store a variable into a memory location to be pulled back up later on sure and and like when it gets to a level of how to be able to, like how how to code that <laughs> yeah how do you code um, you know how how do you code chains and Mephistopheles to work okay with Silicon <laughs> Library right uh, right how, like but then also work with everything else it has to work with to work with yes. another chains of Mephistopheles you know I, I yeah know. so I, I think you know for all the complaints we give it MTGO actually does some pretty amazing things like because if you're playing like Starcraft, right? How a marine interacts with a zergling is pretty standard, right? Uh, or even Hearthstone to bring it a little closer. Yeah, that's true. It's there like aren't that fifteen thousand interruptions. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like people will be like, "Well, why can't MTGO be like Hearthstone?" But that's because Hearthstone has what three hundred cards. Right. Yeah, Hearthstone yeah. would be the equivalent <laughs> of MTGO. Basically, all we did was program Portal. <laughs> There's no yeah. instance, only sorceries. <laughs> yeah. If MTGO had like one set in it, I bet it could be fantastic. But exactly. you know, it has to do so much more. <laughs> yeah. So actually, speaking of that, that that always made me laugh with the portal cards that um are sorceries but can only be played as instants. Yeah. It's like the portal cards that are like play only during attack step and it's a sorcery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> portal Portal was a weird thing. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot having you on today, so that was Great. definitely most appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, our listeners learned a lot too, and you know, hopefully, we'll having you uh, pop in, you know, give quick uh, rulings now and again when uh, questions come up. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah no that would definitely be appreciated. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, right, thanks, CJ. Have a great one. I'm trying to think of what else we wanted to talk about. Anyway, uh, there's one more spoiler card we haven't really touched on yet: the new Young Pyromancer. What are you talking about? Oh, you haven't seen that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this guy's a little spicy. He's a Monastery Mentor. Two colorless and a white for a 2-2. Prowess. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 white monk creature token with Prowess onto the battlefields. That card is pretty spicy. I was going to say earlier that if any card from this set is going to see Legacy so far, it's going to be that guy. Yeah, he's one more... He's one more than Young Pyromancer, but you get a lot for that one more mana. You get an extra toughness, you get prowess, and then you get all your tokens also getting prowess. Well, and you get the enabler that doesn't die to the overload of electricery. Yeah, that too. It doesn't die to the electricery which uh, people have been using against the Young Pyromancer, and also just, you know, uh, engineered plague. And, you know, minus one, minus one abilities are really big in Legacy right now, and he dodges all of that. Huh. But then again, three mana is a lot more than two mana when it comes to legacy. Hmm. Um. Okay. Hey. Well. <laughs> good. Um, so so yeah, much for that guy. Uh, he did pick him up now. Uh, he's going to see play. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. I'm 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 looking at him like a, a white and two colorless. I mean, I, I could see him. I, I just I look at him and I compare him to Stoneforge Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, because Stoneforge Mystic's one cheaper and does a lot better. Oh, you mean as far as you know what you would take out of a deck? I think he spawns new decks. I was joking with friends earlier that um, he'll finally make Plateau a worthwhile card, <laughs> um, just because red white tokens can be a deck now. Well, the first time I see anybody in Leg- Legacy play Assemble the Legion, 
I'm going back to Tin Fins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think we're going to get that far, but uh, Plateau has not seen very much love in Legacy at all. Like, red-white has never been a very popular color combination in competitive play. Um, so, but yeah, he's he's pretty good. So that covers all the um, new spoiler stuff. Yeah. Um, just kind of quick highlights. Uh, Manifest for Exing Dreadnought looks pretty good, especially with Light Form. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get that achievement as soon as possible. Cast Light Form, put Phyrexian Dreadnought into play, have a 12-12 flying lifelink creature. So Light Form's too white and a colorless. Now why, 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 why Light Form and not Soul Summons? Soul Summons too. Um, I mean Soul Summons is probably just the better card because it's cheaper. And honestly, if you have a Phyrexian Dreadnought, you don't really need to give it flying and lifelink. <laughs> you just, it's really I, just, I want to. <laughs> that is why. <laughs> Alright, no so... Planning, just, I want to. <laughs> so, so out of curiosity, well, what else are you jamming in the deck? You got two white and a colorless enchantment, uh, a one colorless artifact, you're gonna play Enlightened Tutor? Yep, I was gonna say Enlightened Tutor is probably the go-to, just because that's a two-card combo as is. Uh, are, you gonna, are, you, are you gonna use green and play Worldly Tutor just to get the thing on top? Are you gonna use Enlightened Tutor just to get the thing on top? Yeah, but then it sounds like I can't fit blue into my deck, and you know that's just not me. I gotta have. All right, so you just want to do white, blue, <laughs> stifle, not. <laughs> yeah, because well, then you could actually get away with stifle also if you wanted to. Yep, yeah. You could do stifle. Well, actually, what I was um, I was talking with uh, Jay and Josh and a bunch of the other people about the whole manifest dreadnought ability. And going back to it, um, one of the reasons why Stifle Dreadnought is not a, a Tier 1 competitive deck is because if they answer the Dreadnought, it's a pretty big blowout because you two-for-one yourself. You're playing Phyrexian Dreadnought out of your hand, that's one card, and then you're stifling it, that's two cards. If they abrupt decay, you basically just got him to Torax. Right, right. two for one. That's why it's a very risky play and why it's, it's a, if it doesn't uh, pull off, you... You get wrecked. And this thing's just as risky, but you also have to pay mana to turn the creature face up. Well, no. The beautiful thing about Manifest is it's coming off the top of your library. So it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, so that's why it's actually instead of Enlightened Tutor, which is still a two for one, you're playing the Enlightened Tutor to put it on top and then you're soul summoning it, that's still a two for one. Mm -hmm. Instead, if you're doing like Sensei's Divining Top or Jace, uh, okay. you're not two for one yourself anymore because it's just an effect of the ability. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Sylvan Library. Yeah, or yeah. Sylvan, yeah, basically anything that lets you rearrange the top of your library, which is why Manifest really reminds me of the Miracle mechanic. And okay. so we were talking that we can definitely see Manifest kind of spawning a new Legacy deck the same way that Miracle spawned a new Legacy deck. Okay. Um, um so, so that's kind of the advantage that this has over the Stifle Dreadnought, uh, plan, is that it's no longer card disadvantage. Now, uh, more, I guess, just local New England-related information. Uh, last weekend, where the hell, what the hell did I do? I think I went to do a sealed event, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, If so, we probably talked about it. This weekend, instead of going to do the sealed event, I actually went to go do the Legacy um, in Spencer. And there was... It turned out yeah. there was only six of us there. But one of them was... Uh, so Kyle had showed up up there. And I had my proxy yeah. version of Tin Fins that I made. And he got to see nice. Tin Fins. Yeah. I ended up playing Patriot Stoneblade. Um, and, jeez, man, like, and it's, it's nothing again, not, not, I mean, it, it had nothing to do with, uh, 
anything, just the way the decks interact, but like, it, it was a long game that actually ended up going to like turns and of an eventual victory to one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like Patriot Stonebleed versus Death and Taxes. And then like, that, that, by the time that game ended, the next round started because it took that long. Yeah. And then it was like Patriot Stoneblade versus, uh, I forget what I even played next. Actually, I think I actually might have played Kyle with Reanimator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was, it, and so like every round though would end up going like to a long game, and then the next round would start, and I'm like, wait, before we begin, I need to go smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, cause, I'm like, this doesn't seem to be a smoker's deck. And then afterwards, maybe it was the third round, I ended up playing against Kyle, and he had his Reanimator deck. Uh, you know, I, I went up and I played, and, and you know, thanks to Kyle, he helped me get my tin fins fixed out. Yeah. And and then I left. So now I got some information like a day later or two later, because and while I was up there, now I've talked about this in the past. So when the weekend that that's entertainment does not do legacy, a lot of times I'll go down to Ice Imports mm-hmm. and do um, sealed. They do fifteen dollars sealed. It turns out it's actually fifteen dollars sealed with prize support. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, in Spencer, they're going to start doing Sunday Sealed, $15 without the price support, which is what I thought it was before anyway. But um, So they're going to start doing $15 Sealed without price support, and I think I'll save myself the hour drive to just play without price support. That's not a big deal. You know, if yeah. I want to go down to Ice Imports and trade, sometimes I can do that too. But So so I want to start playing more with, um, with Lita with that. Grid drafting that that you were telling me about, yeah, because she, yeah. she's been, so she's been enjoying that. It can get her used to some of the commons and uncommons that she can come do sealed with me too. Um, it's it's close to home, um, so so I'm excited to see some of that. So what ended up happening last week, and the way they do it at that store, even though there was only six people and one of them was um, one of the guys that actually owns the store, the way he does it is that if he actually ends up placing, he doesn't take store credit. He just randomly distributes it to somebody. You know, that was at the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up winning 20 in store credit. Oh, nice. And I looked, uh, what I ended up leaving it with was, so I I bought the green commander deck. Oh, cool. Because I wanted the priest of Titania. And I figured, well, I got 20 in store credit. They didn't have the red or white one anyway. Wait, so you bought it for the priest of Titania? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the priest of Titania, the $1 card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or do you mean so, Titania, priest of priestess of Agaroth? No, 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 no. I mean the priest of Titania. No, you mean the priest of Titania. <laughs> yeah, the priest of Titania is okay. is the priest of Titania is wonderful in an elf deck in the mirror match. Yes, I could have also just given you one. I have stacks of those guys. <laughs> I, I've been looking, but you know what? If you want to trade a priest of Titania for one of these force of wills, <laughs> we, we could we could probably work something out. Um, anyway. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so so I picked up anyway. the green commander deck. Yeah, so I picked up the green commander deck, and then I, I brought it home and I you know thumbed through it and I just sleeped it up because then. So when I left work yesterday, I was on... Oh, and actually, this is kind of cool. No, for whatever. But I left work yesterday, and there's another store on the way home that I stopped at that I normally... that I really don't play at because they just focus on standard. And it's actually a store that when I started playing again, I put together some common decks, some decks out of just commons and stuff at the store. And it was like all a nickel a card, you know, and the guy... But when putting these decks together, he was charging me a nickel per card, so it's a nickel per basic land also. 
And I think it was 10 cents and uncommon. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm buying basic lands. And the guy doesn't play. He doesn't really know much about the game. And he's like, why? I'm like, because the basic lands, I'll be throwing them out in three weeks. And uh, he didn't understand yeah. what I meant. But it's always stuck with me because whenever I go to buy cards, I don't want to go to the store that's going to charge me a nickel for a swamp. You know, it, it, so I haven't, I don't really go there to purchase cards. And the other reason is that mostly they're focused on standards, so I'm not really going to find a hell of a lot for, for me anyway. You know, like they, this actually, mm-hmm. and that's actually the place I sent you the text from that actually had Modern Masters up on the shelf. They actually have packs of alliances. Um, a while ago they had oh, packs wow. of, yeah, a while ago they had packs of Rise of Eldrazi. Like they get, he's got some packs there and it's kind of funny. And he started to do his case up more with some of the more modern cards and just oddball stuff. So I went in there to see if there was anything that I wanted in there on my way home, because it's New Year's Eve, I left work early, and my birthday's tomorrow anyway, so is there anything I want to get myself for my birthday? Not quite to the level of, I think I'll get myself an Italian chains for Christmas. <laughs> Not quite to that degree. To be fair, that was, <laughs> but, fair, that was for Christmas, and I'm going to work Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just Saturday. Wow. <laughs> I'd have to work a second job. I mean, job. it was... It was, it was it was half. It was half Christmas, half Saturday. <laughs> um, so, so I work, so work I stopped. Work the overtime, it. kids. Work the overtime. Get that cardboard. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that is the, that is the stockbroker lifestyle. <laughs> yep. Um, so I stopped in there, and he actually did have the red and white commander decks. He had actually had all five, and he was selling for thirty three each, which is MSRP, right? Thirty dollars. Yep. Yeah, and and he so it was thirty three no tax. So I mean the tax is figured into that I imagine. So thirty three dollars I got the red one and I got the white one. Oh nice. He, so now I got the red, white, and green one. My stepson's up from Florida. Lita didn't mind the hundred card game before. The decks is still stock. Might be able to play some commander before I get her back into the grid drafting. Um, yeah. Before I start bringing it to the sealed. In the meantime, while I was in there, he has like cards in the back of the store boxed up. Because when things leave standards, he just boxes them up and ships them out into the back of the store, and they just sit there forever. So yeah. I, I ended up picking up a third copy of Counterbalance that looks like it was just taken out of the pack. Oh, um, very but, nice. Yeah, like, he's got a lot of cards that are, like... And then he was selling... He must have, like, a part of his thing must be consignment for somebody else who's trying to get back into standards, so he's got all his cards. So he's got, like, um, you know, the promo Emrakul, a foil full art damnation... Uh, the Ooh. Grand Prix Umazawa's Jet, the Grand Prix Chrome Mox, um, like really There's some money cards. Yeah, they're really interesting. Like yeah, dual. exactly. What about your Grixis? Have you been seeing this? Have you been seeing the way the Grixis Painter deck has been placing everywhere? No, I haven't noticed that at all. Jeez, <laughs> I mean, you were talking about it, and all of a sudden it's like. SCG opens, it's in top eight, and then it's in top eight. And like, you know, one of them was using two copies of Imperial Recruiter, so it's not like the same thing. Right, right. But, but people keep breaking into the Grixis Painter deck, and I'm looking at it going, this is so wacky. Trailblazer. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised you hadn't seen it. I think there's actually a lot of people on the SCG Pro circuit are listening, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, um, that's actually my uh, my magic related New Year's resolution is to actually play the decks I brew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, this Sunday, this Sunday, I will play Grixis uh, Grixis Painter. You know what might be funny? Maybe I'll join you. Maybe I'll put together land pack land tax painter. 
Land tax painter, good. <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about it recently, and it's it's usually like I said, it's it's good in a meta that's full of red. But one of the other things that I forgot about that I play in the deck, um, mm-hmm. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned I play Celestial Purge. Actually, I didn't mention that I play Celestial Purge because nice. it's really good. Like, yeah, if your option is to edict me, I just Celestial Purge Liliana, and then I don't have to worry about it. And I do the same thing with Deathrite Shaman. Like, it turns out Celestial Purge is really live. And, and like, when Jund starts getting play, that, mm-hmm. like, Jund and Burn, if those decks start actually getting more play, that's when this deck starts doing, like, even better. But it's, it, like I said, it's not, I may ju- maybe I'll just bring it. I don't know. Maybe I'll just bring it and not actually play it. Do it up, dude. Alright. New Year's resolution is play the wacky deck. So yeah, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Grixis Painter this Sunday. I don't, yeah, I don't even know if I'd say that's wacky. I keep seeing it everywhere. It actually, it looks pretty decent. Now I get a copy of Doretti. Maybe I join. You. Um, <laughs> let's see what. Exactly. So what else? Um, yeah, you have any uh, magic-related New Year's resolutions? Part of me wants to say play less so I could spend more time with the wife. Part of me wants to say. Uh, <laughs> um, Just uh, teach teach the wife to play more, and that way you have the best the best of both worlds. Top eight pairings have been posted. All right, so what about top eight, Jerry? And uh, yeah, scooping in. Yeah, any anybody that you would like to scoop into top eight? Uh, I'm gonna get all nostalgic on people. I'm gonna I'm gonna scoop in uh, the year 2014 into the top eight. It's <laughs> a good year for Magic. Lots of things happened. Uh, yeah, I hope 2015 is just as good. Mm. What about you? Um. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna start. I gotta start with Kyle. Like he he intentionally played against ten fins, and it's <laughs> <laughs> anybody who will like intentionally play against it. I, I mean, I think I think he, I don't know if I think he he definitely he said he learned something about it, and he, mm-hmm. you know maybe he checked out some articles and stuff. The deck's just ridiculous. Um. Aside from that, you know, I do want to scoop into top eight, and this is like a little spoiler alert. Mm. Um. I think next week we're going to be joined by uh, Jonathan Medina. Oh, the one and only. It's yeah. that, that's a big deal for me too because he's one of the reasons why I got into podcasting in the first place. Yeah, and I know you know it's 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 kind of funny. I, I'm under the impression he wants to talk a bit about God, and uh, yes. we may do that, and I may edit a bit, and the show notes may be pretty specific. If you'd like to go, <laughs> you may want to go to 45 minutes in. You may want to go to an hour and a half in. <laughs> yes, there may be some uh, very light magic talk uh, next week. We may be going down the rabbit hole. So hopefully well, you, you guys you, are down for just a regular old conversation next week. Well, so, and some of the things that uh, I'm interested in is, I don't know if you're aware of this, he's, I don't know if he's originally from Vermont, but he's from Vermont anyway. Yeah, yep. Alright, so, I, he's definitely uh, relevant as far as New England magic. And one of the things that I want to ask him, see if you can rem- remind me of this, Jerry. Because mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been meaning to ask you this. This is like a question that I want to ask people when they're related to New England. Okay. Because some, somebody, i got to imagine somebody in Phoenix, Arizona is going to have no idea what the hell this is about. So let me ask you, Jerry. Yes. Have you have you ever stuck your feet in shopping bags before you put them in your boots? No, I have oh not done that. I can see the benefit of it being from New England, but I've never done that personally <laughs> myself. <laughs> oh, you ruined it. You ruined it. <laughs> what? How long have you lived in Massachusetts? 
uh, my entire life. <laughs> really? Elementary school and everything? No, yep, everything. And you've never put... Oh, you've never put your feet inside of bags inside your boots. No. <laughs> I, now I want to ask why not. <laughs> uh, it's never come up. <laughs> really? Maybe, well, okay, maybe so waterproofing. You... I am I am a bit younger than you. Maybe waterproofing technology has, has uh, increased over the years. Jeez. <laughs> so, I, all right. Well, remind me because I'm tempted to ask Medina that. I, I said it to somebody the other day, and they knew exactly what I was talking Good. about. <laughs> I, you mean, know, I can so, see the benefit. So, so now there's apparently a guy in Phoenix and you wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, yeah. sweet. Oh, yeah. Also, obviously, scooping in CJ. Uh, big thanks for him to coming on today and, uh, you know, kind of clearing a bunch of stuff up for us. So hopefully uh, we'll have him on in the future for some uh, more Q&A. Oh, are you kidding? I'll never have any sort of legacy questions. I know everything. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's uh, really... Really cool guy to listen to. I used to listen, like I said, I, uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts at work and, uh, JudgeCast was one that I always listened to because how else, I mean, you know, playing with the guys down at T and stuff too, I get to learn the interactions and these guys are good. They can show me a whole bunch of different stuff and then listening to CJ and the guys on JudgeCast, I learn other things that I may not be fully aware of and I start learning natures of why an interaction occurs and then I see it apply to a different interaction. You know, like, right. and one of the ones happened to be, um, did you ever, here's a little thing, did you, I don't know if we even talked about this before, stop me if we did, but if you have Leyline of the Void out, mm-hmm. right, enchanting me, yep. and I, and I have Wheel of Sun and Moon out, enchanting yes. myself, yep. if, if you, um, thought scour me, do you know where my cards go? They get exiled? No. I actually choose if I want them exiled or in the bottom of my library. Oh. Oh, yeah, because yeah, Yellow Sun and Moon comes into play first, because you get to nope. choose. It has nothing to do with that. If two replacement effects would take effect at the same on this, at the same time, yep. the person with the affected permanent chooses oh, yeah, cause you have which priority. one takes precedence. Yeah, which one takes precedence. Well, no, it's not even so much that I have priority, because your thought's going me. It's not like I'm getting priority. On the right. stack or anything. It's just that it's my affected permanent. I get to choose. It was a weird thing. It was like um, rule 604B, I think. Mm-hmm. And and um, I was at a tournament at one point, and that actually came up. And I mentioned it to the judge, and they went and looked it up. It was um, it was kind of interesting. Like that was something that I learned. What it was was I think at one point Aaron had Leyline of the Void on me, and I had Wheel of Sun and Moon. Yeah. And he went to do and he went to do something, and you know. None of the guys around were terribly sure what was going to happen, but I knew what was happening because I'd listened to JudgeCast. Yep. And and he just kind of eventually said, well, that one came in first. We'll just let that take precedence. It works in your favor anyway. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not why. You know, because I wanted to understand why, and JudgeCast helped me do that. So, yeah, big, big um, scoop into top eight for CJ because, you know, when you're doing type four, making it to top eight and type four with <laughs> three players is pretty relevant. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that was a good show. Hope everyone liked it. Uh, happy New Year's. To yeah, everyone. Happy New Year's to everybody. Yeah. Hopefully 2015 will be as good as 2014. Yep. And um, let's let's see if this year gets to be as exciting. And you know what, Jerry? This is uh this has been really fucking cool doing this. And yeah. Oh, also scoop you in a top eight man because happy birthday. 
Oh, yeah. You get to play in top eight on your birthday. Congratulations. <laughs> Look at that. Too bad I'm gonna, too bad I'm gonna lose in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's usually the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, and, um, yeah, so I hope you guys all made it home safe and, uh, you enjoyed your New Year's and look forward to seeing you all soon. Yeah. See you later, everybody. Later, everybody. The tournament is over and the store is closing. Feel free to see us during normal business hours by emailing the show at leavingalegacymtg at gmail.com. You can also find the host on Twitter with Adrian at Mathema Trickster and Jerry at JMEE3RD. You can also join the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group to stay connected.
Okay. Two, one. <laughs> scene. So, scene. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs>